It's good to be here. My ground rules are always going to be the same when I get the chance to be here. If you interact, I preach better. So if you talk back, <laughs> you get more out of me because I think God's word is living and breathing and active. So don't sit there dead and lifeless, okay? So we can be together. And, you know, I was thinking this morning about life in general. And, and let me just tell you, we all have issues. We all have problems. As, as my kids run around and say, my, my six-year-old will always run in. And she, she says things all the time. But she's now adopted it. She's like, Dad, I got issues. I'm like, yeah, baby, you got issues. You got a lot of issues. But, you know, I've learned something about our issues and our problems in life. Is that we have something that can combat that. We have this little problem for us called praise. That in life, there's a problem called praise because when we live from praise, we can't have problems. It's really hard to show up and gripe about work or gripe about life or gripe about family when we start with praise. And I know that when we get into God's word and we find gratefulness and thankfulness and gratitude and understanding for how much God's blessed us, we can't get trapped in the problem. Now, look, I'm preaching to myself. Trust me. If you'd have been around even at the beginning of this week when I was having a bad day, the first thing I should have done is preach to myself. A little bit of praise go a long way. So today, here's what I want. I don't want you to leave your problem somewhere. You need to bring the problems here. This is the community. This is the place. Let me tell you something. I want you to know this too. God cannot heal what you conceal. So don't come in here and try to pack it away and hide it. Don't, don't come in here and act like it's all okay. Because if you, got, you think you got it all together, we got a lot of problems to deal with, okay? Because if we hide it all away, then what I get to share with you today has no value. If you come in here today acting like you got it all together, what I can give to you today from God's word will have no life for you. See, here's what I know. The entire scripture is packed full of this beautiful gift for us called scandalous grace. It's God's scandalous grace. You know, we all love a scandal. I mean, let's admit it. We watch TV. We read the internet. We're looking at magazines. Whatever it is, we're looking for the scandal. We're looking for the next story. We're looking for the, the thing that we can talk about, to gossip about, because we like it. It's exciting. It, and actually, it's our measure, because we're like, oh, if I'm not that bad, I must be okay. I must be honest, right? We're always measuring against something else. And we're looking for the scandal. But you know something that I think we often forget? So is God. He is too, but for a different reason. Because here's what I know in my life, and I know it's true in your life, your greatest scandal is God's greatest opportunity to do something amazing. And so when we come in here today, let's bring our scandals, let's bring our problems, let's bring our issues right in here together, and let's dig into God's word. See, he bankrupted heaven to rescue us. You take the greatest thing, the part of who he is, his son, Jesus Christ, the greatest gift to mankind, and he lets it go and sacrifices for us. If he'll bankrupt heaven for us, today's possibilities are incredible. I want to pray for us again real quick, but here's what I want you to pray. You'll hear this from me every time. But God will do two things for you today. Number one, that he'll show you something brand new about himself. Something brand new you never realized about God today. And secondly, that he'll show you right now, today, in this moment, no matter what you're walking through, how much he loves you actively. I'm not talking about the Jesus that died on the cross. I'm talking about the Jesus that's living and breathing and active in your life today. How's he loving you right now? Let's pray those things together. Father, we want to come to you with faith like children. God, to be in a place of awe and discovery. 
God, to be in a place of wonder about the mysteries of who you are. And so, God, today I pray that we get to explore and discover something brand new about you, something incredible about the God who loves us because you're a good, good father. And God, you love us. That's who we are. That's what we sang today. And so, God, I pray that we would not only discover something new, but, God, that we would discover and see and be awakened to the reality that you are actively, presently, today, you are loving us just the way we are. Father, we love you. and We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, I'm actually going to veer. Dorena prayed a very poignant prayer. I had a scripture for you, but as I was sitting there and as we were singing this morning, God reminded me of a scripture in Luke chapter 19. So if you have your Bibles with you, we'll go in and read this together. It's it's probably not going to be on the screen. We'll see how good they are. Maybe they can pull it. It's the first 10 verses of Luke 19. I like to read from the message. That's just because I'm a little unpolished and raw. And so I like the message translation because it's unpolished and raw. So I just want to read these to you, and I want us to kind of dig into this story and talk a little bit about scandalous grace. And I tell you what, this story is is very alive to me. Just just a little over a month ago, I stood on these streets. The story I'm going to read you in the city of Jericho, right on the West Bank. And I got to stand right where this happened. It says, Then Jesus entered and walked through Jericho. And there was a man there, and his name was Zacchaeus. How many of you have been in church for a while? Okay. Did you sing the song, Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee... What an insulting song. (laughs) And you know, in today's world, if we wrote that song, somebody's getting sued, political correctness, we'd have movement. There'd be a hashtag for it. No more wee man, you know? And if you're an MTV generation, wee man has a whole different connotation to it. Now I know who's who in here. says there was a man and his name was Zacchaeus. He was the head tax man and he was quite rich. And he wanted desperately to see Jesus. But the crowd was in his way. You know, I'm going to stop there for a minute because I want us to be realistic. There are a lot of us in here who've been in church a long time. We're church people. We're religious people. We're Christians. Whatever terminology you want to put on it. And so we've got this thing about gathering around the idea of Jesus, the tradition of Jesus, the habit of Jesus. And what's interesting to me is there's a world full of people out there we wouldn't think would want Jesus. And a lot of times we get in the way. We get in the way because we're in the habit of doing something we think we have to do. And we're not paying attention to the people who desperately need Jesus. And so Zacchaeus desperately, I love this, he's, he's a hated man. The tax collect, has tax collecting changed yet in thousands of years? I, I've never met a tax man. I was like, God, I love your job. <laughs> he, he, wasn't, he wasn't a popular guy. He wasn't the guy you'd expect to be running to Jesus. And yet he desperately wanted to see Jesus. So he was a short man and he couldn't see over the crowd. So he ran on ahead and he climbed up into a sycamore tree so that he could see Jesus when he came by. You know what's interesting? I've learned something over the years. The most messy, broken, crazy people with issues will do anything to find hope. You and I will do anything to find hope. And it's interesting to me that we know where hope comes from. It's built into us. It's in our DNA. You may not know what word to put on it. You may not know that it's Jesus. You may not know that it's the gospel. You may not know that it's the Bible. But you know that there's a light somewhere. You see it. You know it. It's here. And it was the same in Zacchaeus. And he saw it. And he reached out to us. He said, you know what? I don't care. I'll be indignant. I'm a rich man. 
Nobody likes me anyway, so I'll just climb a tree. I climb trees anyway. Really just so people be like, why are you doing that? Or mainly just because I give Allison another reason to be like, oh my God, here he goes again. It's my husband embarrassing me and my children. And he climbs up in the tree. It says, when Jesus got to the tree, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, hurry down. Today is my day to be a guest in your home. You know one of the things I love about this? Jesus is always aware. I mean, Zacchaeus is the short man. He's kind of lost in the crowd, so he climbs up the tree. He's, he's kind of in a different place, not where the crowd is, not where everything's going on, and Jesus is paying attention. You know, when I think about this, I think about how true that is for us, because sometimes I think we gather on Sundays, and we have our Bible studies, and we do our praying at the dinner table because it's tradition and because we feel like we're doing this great thing for Jesus, and Jesus isn't so worried about the crowd. He's worried about the one who needs him desperately. He doesn't miss it. He sees it. He's aware. But I love that he says to Zacchaeus, because I just love this about Jesus. He says, I'm coming to your house. Hey, you're buying me dinner. <laughs> I'm going to be a guest. I'm going I'm to show up. And I love that about Jesus. There's something about grace that is so beautiful that Jesus says, you don't have to come to me. I'll come to you. You don't have to show up in, in a church building. You don't have to show up in a Bible study. I'll show up at the bottom of that tree and call you down. I'll come to your house and sit at your table. I'll be right there no matter what. I mean, Zacchaeus had his reputation, right? Tax man, rich man, a thief, all the different things that went with him. And Jesus said, eh, it's cool. I'll show up. We're going to hang out? What are we going to have for dinner? So Zacchaeus scrambled out of the tree. I love this. I love that picture. Because I think some of us, as we spend more time being Christians, we forget to scramble to Jesus. We forget to run to Jesus. We forget to have that anticipation and that awe of his grace and his love and his, his, his immense care for our lives. But I love this because it says he was hardly believing his good luck and delighted to take Jesus home with him. You know, when I see people's lives radically change, you know what I love? When we first meet Jesus, when we first discover grace, when we first find love, we want to share it with everybody. We want to talk about what's going on in our lives. And I love this picture of Zacchaeus. He could hardly wait to take Jesus home. I love this. Everyone who saw this incident was indignant and got grumpy. And it's funny how we see good fortune and life change in some people. And we're like, why would God save them? Why does God want that person? What about me? This is what business does Jesus have getting cozy with this crook? Let me tell you something. If you ever lose sight of the fact that God can save and rescue anybody from anything, you have lost the gospel. You have lost the gospel. There is nothing that is impossible. I mean, one question you could ask yourself today before you leave here is, do I really believe that the impossible can become possible? Do I really believe what the Bible says? That anything is possible through God? Even changing my life and your life? Zacchaeus stood there, and he was a little stunned. And he stammered apologetically. He said, Master, talking to Jesus, he says, I give away half of my income to the poor. And if I'm caught cheating, I'll pay back four times the damages. And Jesus said this. He says, today, salvation is in this home. 
Here he is, Zacchaeus, the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to find and restore the lost. The son of man, Jesus, came to find and restore the lost. Jesus said that. That was his mission. It was his vision. Jesus didn't come into the world like like John 3.17 says. He didn't come to condemn the world, but he came to save the world. He came to rescue the lost and the broken, and he's done it through a scandalous grace. You know, I know many times in our lives when we're dealing with our struggles and we're dealing with our issues and we're wrestling with what that looks like in our lives, we kind of feel like that moment when, when the Marys were running to the tomb after Jesus had been crucified and he was in the grave and it all seemed hopeless. I don't know if you reach hopeless moments in your life. I get hopeless moments a lot. I got five kids. There are some very hopeless moments in my house, believe me. You're like, oh my God, why did we have five? <laughs> We purchased two of them through adoption. (laughs) Why? (laughs) Parenting will do that to you. And I often wonder how many times God looks at us the same way. (laughs) I rescued them for what? I died for them because of what? I've learned a lot about the gospel through being a parent. It's an incredible picture. Because we give so much to our kids knowing that sometimes we'll never get anything in return. Can you think about the scandalous grace of God that he said, I will give my son as a sacrifice, knowing that many of you will never love me back. You'll never come back to me. But as those women ran to the tomb a few days after Jesus was crucified, and that giant rock was rolled in front, and all seemed hopeless, you know what they found when they showed up? The stone was rolled away, and his angels were sitting on top of that stone. The thing that's the heaviest, the thing that seems impossible, God's already on top of it. He's already got it. And we can run to it in our problems and our desperation, but he's already met us there. He's already been there. He didn't miss out. He he isn't ignorant to it. He's never late to it. We could dissect all through the scriptures. I love reading through the gospels and just walking out step by step with Jesus, how he was always on top of it. Even when Lazarus died, you know, I, I wonder about that. We, 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 if I had been in those shoes, you know, they came to him and said, you know, Jesus, Lazarus is sick and he's going to die. And Jesus said, okay, well, I'll just wait then. You ever feel like he does that to you? I'll just wait then. No, 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 God, I don't think you understand. I'm going to die. I don't think I'm going to survive. You ever have moments like that? Lord knows, I'm walking through a season right now with some things. I feel like I'm under the pressure. You know, you feel like you're going to, you, you have a hard time breathing. And sometimes you're like, God, where are you? And he's like, I got it, but not yet. You know, Jesus shows up a few days later. Lazarus has been in the grave. He's dead. You know, something interesting about the story of Lazarus, the town that he was in, Bethel, was an Egyptian settled town. So when they put Lazarus in the tomb, you know something interesting that we often don't know about the story is by the time Jesus showed up, not only had been dead, but they took out his organs and put them in jars and wrapped him up. He wasn't just dead, he was dissected. He was dismantled. Do you know sometimes in our lives we reach the point where we feel like we're going to die and everything becomes dismantled and taken apart. And then Jesus shows up. And Jesus shows up, and we still have the desperation. You know, Lazarus' sisters, they show up, and they're like, you know, if you'd have shown up, he wouldn't have died. And Jesus is like, uh, hello? 
Who am I? I got this. And in one phrase, Lazarus come out. What was dissected and impossible became possible. Because God's grace transcends anything in our lives. Anything. So let's look at ourselves for a little bit. Let's get a little personal. You know, the the greatest example of God's grace is probably sitting in your row. Do you know the greatest example of God's grace may be the sitting in the seat you're in? Only you know your real story. Only I know my real story. Not all of us are going to stand up here and broadcast all of our brokenness and our sin. And I know that there are stories in this room that, you know, we're scared to death to get up and tell. Oh, if they knew that about me. (laughs) God's grace is bigger than that. God's grace is greater than those things for you. Some years ago, I got to meet a guy that was truly the impossible when it comes to life change. I got stories, man. I can tell you I love ministry and I love being in the mess with people. Last time I got to speak here, I got to tell you about my friend James, but I've got another buddy of mine named Jimmy. And when I met Jimmy, Jimmy's name was Jenna. You can extrapolate from that what you want. But I met him driving through Starbucks. I'm a, I was a star, I'm, I'm not was, confession. Some moment of confession. God can't heal what you don't, what you conceal. I'm a coffee addict. And so my daily routine was to drive through the Starbucks drive-thru on the way to the office. And I get the same thing. I've gotten the same thing for years and years and years. A quad grande Americano double cup with room. Four shots of espresso. And then I usually have three or four of them later in the day. Anyway, so I I would go through the drive-thru in the morning. And and I went through it around the drive-thru. And as I came around the drive-thru, reaching out through the window to hand me my cup was Jenna. Except it was a very manly Jenna, the five o'clock shadow in a feather boa. It's interesting, to say the least. And I lived in a little town in East Tennessee where nobody veered out of the norm. Diversity where I was from was whether your car heart was all brown or camo. <laughs> whether you ironed the pleat in your Levi's or your Wranglers or not. It's the kind of town I was in, so he didn't fit. But as clear as you and I are talking right now, I heard God say, get to know that guy. Get out of the car and go introduce yourself. To which I said, you must be crazy. <laughs> no. That's uncomfortable. Did you see that? I didn't even know. I don't have a file for that. <laughs> and God said, seriously, get out of the car. We had this conversation probably in the course of a minute, 5,700 times. And it was me saying, no, God, no, you, you're big enough. You handle it. <laughs> Remember, you don't need me. <laughs> it's that pious thing we pray as Christians. God, you don't need us, but you use us. <laughs> and then when he needed me, I was like, you don't need me. You got this. I'll mess it up anyway. You know that. So I pull around and I get out of the car and I go in and I was it's so awkward. I had these horrible pastor business cards. 
such a dumb idea. Anyway, and I walked in. I was like, hey, my name's Michael. I pastored church down the road. I don't even know why I'm talking. I literally was like this. I was like, I don't even know why I'm talking to you right now. I just know God told me to give you my card. If you need anything, you call me. Bye. <laughs> and I like walked out. And I got in the car. And I, you know, I was like, I did good, right, God? And he's like, you're going to do that every day now. I was like, whoa, back up. I gave you that one. <laughs> what else do you need? So from that day forward, I would go in every morning and have a conversation with who would become one of my best friends, Jimmy. And over the course of 16 months, I would just show up and have conversations. I would say all this. I'm like, you should come to church. He's like, do you know what people in church do with a guy like me? I'm like, you're a guy? I don't, like, really? <laughs> Can we just be real? I'll tell you a funnier story in a minute. Anyway... <laughs> Over time, we began to build trust. And I got to show up, and I knew when Jimmy would take his break, and so I would show up and spend those 15 minutes just talking and finding out. He had two daughters from a failed marriage. He had been rejected by the church because they didn't know what to do with him. And eventually, we'd come, and he would sit in my office, and we would talk in this very raw conversation. And then in all my glory as a pastor, and all my wisdom as a pastor... Jimmy says to me one day, you know, I've always struggled because I don't fit in. And I'm a little tactless and maybe think after I speak most times. So I was like, you think that's because you're gay? And he goes, I'm not gay. <laughs> How do you recover from that one? <laughs> what a moment. <laughs> God's grace is great for me. <laughs> Just a few weeks later, I was getting ready to preach. And I was sitting. I had, oh, I had the coolest stool I used to sit on when I preach. And it's because I'm manic, and it's good that there's only like four feet of stage here, or you would watch me pace all over. And, and so I would sit on the stool, and I remember the back door opening. I saw Jimmy walk in. And I literally had the moment. I was like, the building is going to burn to the ground. He showed up. <laughs> and he sat through the service. And just before it was over, he got up and he walked out. Didn't think anything of it. And I learned a little bit in my relationship with Jimmy, so I just didn't say anything. A couple of days later, I'm sitting at my desk and I hear, and I look up in the doorway and Jimmy's standing there and he says, this Jesus thing, I get it. I'm in. And he turned around and he walked out. It wasn't a magic moment. He didn't walk an aisle. He didn't pray a prayer. Kind of like Zacchaeus. He just got out of a tree and said, okay, you got me. Because I think that we've turned salvation and following Jesus into a process. Instead of a lifetime. Because what I've learned about God's grace is this. See, God said to us very simply, I'll complete the work I began in you. In the day of Christ Jesus. So we don't like to quote the end of the verse. Because the end of the verse means, until Jesus comes back, you are screwed up. Because he ain't going to fix it till then. It's a process. I loved, by the time we finished pastoring that church, Jimmy was the head of my creative worship department. His life changed. I get to talk to Jimmy all the time and hear about all the stuff that God's doing and God's using him in different churches and different ways. And 
He still struggles with certain things in his life, but he loves Jesus. He tells people about Jesus because God's grace is greater than the things that we see. Don't ever let your own perception get in the way of the great grace and power that is in Christ Jesus. So what do we do with it? Because we can all amen and say hallelujah and all that good stuff. And you can talk back to me all day and you can agree with it. And you can walk out of here today and be like, that was a pretty cool story. But if you don't do something with it, it's useless. See, if we come before Jesus and we're just amazed but we're not transformed, it's of no value. It's just noise. See, Jesus went back to his hometown and he spoke and the people were amazed, but no one was transformed. So no miracles happen. Transformation is the breeding ground for miracles in our life. So here's what I know about scandalous grace. You and I have a responsibility to become the broadcast tower for God's scandalous grace. We have a responsibility to stand up, to live it out, to walk it out, to become the beacon of light in a busted and broken and messy world. So how do we do that? I've got three simple things that I think you and I can do that will make all the difference in the world. Because I think that God's grace needs to occupy every corner of our life, every street, every avenue, every sidewalk, every desk we sit at, every hallway we walk down. God's grace should occupy every corner of our life. And I want us to talk about three ways that God's grace can occupy the world that we live in. And the first thing is this. You need to occupy your world with joy. I didn't say happiness. See, let's not get that confused. Joy is this inner contentment and peace that God brings to us. That at the end of the day, even though I'm walking through the mess, and even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. There is joy in that moment. I will survive. I may suffer, but I'll survive. There's joy in knowing that we're rescued. There's joy in knowing that even though we're busted and messy and broken, he loves us anyway. Because he's a good, good father... Because that's who he is, and we're loved by him. That's who we are. That's who we are. You gotta, you gotta live with joy. You may not always be happy, but you can be joyful. You know, I look at Zacchaeus' life and I think about joy. He was so excited. He, he, he clamored to get out of the tree. He scrambled to get out of the tree, to be there with Jesus, to go home with Jesus. And he's in this moment with Jesus, and he says, you know what? I'm going to give away. I'm going to give back. I'm going to live with joy. I'm going to live in the overflow. The overflow of my life becomes the indication of joy. The way I give back, the way I worship, the way I talk, the way I live, the way I love. How do you love others? How do you live with joy? Look, we need to occupy with vision. We need to occupy with vision. And what I mean by that is we have to see people through the eyes of Jesus. Can you really look at someone and see them through the eyes of Jesus? The saddest thing I ever hear, that I will ever hear in my life is when I hear people say, I want to go to church, but if I showed up, they wouldn't know what to do with me. I have a deep passion in my heart to bridge the gap in this world between broken people and the church. But here's the hard part. 
The church really doesn't want the gap bridged. We don't because we don't know what to do. Because when the Jimmies of this world walk through the back door, it's uncomfortable. We don't know what to do. And so we avoid it. And I have to have the vision, the eyes, the heart of Jesus. Not to see what's on the outside, but to see what's on the inside. When I look into the eyes of someone, you can see where their life is at. I don't look at this. So what if you show up with a rap sheet 17 miles long? Jesus loves you. So what if your lifestyle doesn't fit into the traditional norm? Jesus loves you. So what if you're struggling with addiction? Jesus loves you. So what if your marriage is completely coming unfrayed? Jesus loves you. So what if you're at the door of financial ruin? Jesus loves you. So why can't we? Why can't we love people the way Jesus does? Because it says that when Christ died, his blood covered our sins. When God looks at us, when our Father looks at us, he sees us through Jesus. He doesn't see me by my brokenness. Your worth is not determined by your life. It's determined by God's love. Your true value in this world has nothing to do with how you've screwed up or how you've succeeded. It has everything to do with how much God loves you. Your value, your identity is 100% in him, not in you. And when we realize that for ourselves, we can realize that for others. Who we are is determined by how he loves us. And he loves us unconditionally. The Bible tells us there is nothing that can snatch us from his hands. Nothing. We're his. Never, ever look into the eyes of another human being and believe that it's hopeless or that it's impossible. You want God's scandalous grace to change the world? Have the vision and the eyes of Jesus who makes the impossible become possible. But this is what I love. We need to occupy our streets, our homes, our schools, our workplaces, everywhere we go, with such faith and grace that we make the religious mutter like they did with Zacchaeus. You love people so unconditionally, the people around you don't know what to do with it. And people are like, something is wrong with that person. Wait a minute, you hang out with who? You love who? You believe the best in what? Make people ask questions when they look at your life. Because you love so deeply and so unconditionally that God is the only answer. It's in that grace and that love that God transforms lives. You know, when I look at the story of different people in the Bible, nobody raised their hand and walked an aisle, nobody prayed the sinner's prayer, nobody filled out a card. Got a visit from a deacon or an elder. No pastor imparted salvation. It was the work of the Holy Spirit and the presence of God in someone's life that brought transformation. 
And nine out of 10 times, it came through relationship. Do you know the single most important thing that we can give to one another is relationship? To be present, to show up, to stand there no matter what, to never give up, to never walk away. That will change the world. You know, I think about when God showed up and he took this busted and broken guy named Saul, the most religious and educated guy who's been out killing Christians. He's a murderer. And he says, I choose you. And he took him into the desert for three years, one-on-one in relationship to transform his life. And then he took that busted, broken, messy guy from a point of relationship and he changed the world with him. The hardest part for us is having to wait on God. Because we want him to like transform us instantly. Actually, what we, what we really want is we want nothing to do with what happens in our lives. We want God to transform everybody around us so we can ignore us. Let's be real honest about it, right? I'm not worried about me. I'm worried about you. You got this problem. But let's pray about it because God will fix it. Just say a prayer. I haven't prayed many prayers that God fixed pretty quick. I've prayed a lot of prayers that God had to change my heart over a long time. Are you willing to walk the process? Because sometimes transformation with God takes forever. Sometimes we get impatient. Sometimes the results we're looking for don't show up in our lifetime. Sometimes God calls us to be like Moses, to lead the crazies out of, Israel, out of Egypt and never get to the promised land. But he didn't stop until he fulfilled his promise. Can you be like Moses to show up and walk with messy, broken people who gripe and complain and make your life a living nightmare and never see the promises come true, but trust God enough that he will fulfill what he said he will do? Because if the church is going to be the light of the world and the beacon of the world, then we have to stand up and be strong in our, in our faith and be strong in the fact that God's grace is scandalous and greater than anything that gets in our way. And I look at Moses, and he had to take him into the wilderness, and he led him around in that wilderness, and he let a whole generation of people die until they were ready to rejoice in the blessing. And maybe for us, the principle to walk away with is, what, what is the thing in me that needs to die so that I can walk into the promised land? What is the thing that I have to be patient for and will I walk it out in faith knowing that I may never see the results? It's not easy. And God's grace will stretch us out of our comfort zone. God didn't create you and I to live in comfort. He created us to worship him. And in a messy and broken world, it's not easy. It's not easy. Our lives don't define our true worth and identity. God's loved us. And his transformation in us won't happen overnight. It's a lifetime. And if the church is gonna be the beacon of hope and the place where broken and messy people find love and find Jesus, then we have to be willing to stand here and let God do the work and worship him and praise him and be diligent and never stop showing up. God's got something he wants to do in your life. 
He's got something he wants to do in the life of the person sitting next to you. God can transform this city. You know, when Paul went to Ephesus in Acts, he just went right into the middle of the people. And he showed up and he began to love them. And in the course of just a couple of years, the entire province of Asia, over a million people, had heard the gospel. Just because Paul showed up. He didn't hold services. He didn't sing songs. He didn't have people raise their hand and walk aisles. He just showed up and loved people right where they were. Because he understood grace. Do you understand grace? Will you walk out of here today and live out what we talk about? It's great that we can have a good Sunday, but if it doesn't change your Monday through Saturday, forget it. Forget it. Don't leave here amazed. Leave here transformed. Do something with what God shows you. And stand strong in God's grace for your life. Let's pray together. Father, you are incredible. And God, it's not even because you died on a cross that I think you're incredible. It's because, God, you never gave up on us. We walked from you. We turned our back to you. We ridiculed you. We crucified you. And yet, you're still here. You still love us. God, I pray that we understand and accept that awe and the wonder of your scandalous grace, but God, I pray that we begin to live it, that we're transformed by it, and that God, that our life is never the same because of it. God, I pray that we would offer the grace that you've given us to the people around us, God, in our homes, in our places of work, wherever we go, God, that wherever our feet touch, God, grace follows with us, that we would see people through the eyes of Jesus, and God, that we would believe what you say. You make the impossible possible. God, use us as your followers to make a deep impact in this world, to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. Father, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, Strong Tower. Let's stand to be dismissed. Michael, thank you so much.